We're continuing this morning uh, through our series called Risen, and we're looking at uh, different uh, occurrences of Jesus in his risen state, talking with uh, different people and the things that he's sharing with them. We've, we've looked at uh, Mary Magdalene, we've looked at the two uh, disciples on the road to a mass last week and, and disappointment, and today uh, we are looking at one of the more famous characters in scripture, Doubting Thomas, and his unfortunate name. So to sort of set the stage for this, I thought I'd tell a little story. I grew up uh, in a small town, and near my house was three different cemeteries. And as a kid, we would, one of these cemeteries was real big. It had, you know, paved roads through it, and we would ride our bikes through it. Uh, It was down by a creek, uh, and there were two more that were near us. They were a little bit smaller. My grandparents are buried in one of them, and I would go, and I would I would look through the tombstones and look for names of people in town that I, that I knew and, you know, these family names from town. And sometimes as a little kid, I would see the, the workers come and, and dig out uh, these, these uh, places where people would be buried. And it was fascinating to me as a little kid. And, you know, and I, and I could go later, you know, after a, a processional had been by, and I could go later and see the workers filling it back in and, and I was thinking, what if one day in my meandering down to the cemetery, I go down on a Monday after a weekend service, and I see workers standing by an open grave that the day before had been closed? And what if there's an open casket just kind of tossed off to the side there? There's no body, just an open grave. Maybe the tombstone's knocked over or something. And I say to the guys, you know, what happened here? And they say, oh, well, he got up. He's alive. Amen. <laughs> Wouldn't, I mean, you, you, if that were you or that were me, we would doubt that, right? We'd be like, no, that, that doesn't happen. That didn't happen. It couldn't happen. So we have, the, we have hindsight to better look back at Thomas and say, oh, doubting Thomas. Silly him. But if it were you and me, we'd be like, yeah, that didn't happen. Right? I mean, there's a rumor circulating at this point among Jesus' disciples that maybe the guards had taken his body and gotten rid of it. The, the, the Jewish leaders are possibly hunting down the disciples, and they're afraid. And there's all this chaos happening, and yet they're being told that maybe Jesus is alive. Like, you probably wouldn't believe it either, and I wouldn't either. And so Thomas gets this unfortunate nickname of Doubting Thomas. And he's known for his doubt. He's known for his pessimism. He's known for his lack of belief. But what I want to argue today is that he should also be known for his declaration. He makes a declaration at the end of the book of John that is unbelievable. And I think John wrote it that way on purpose. He shouldn't just be known for his doubt. He should also be known for his declaration. And what we're going to look at today is is his interactions with Jesus and how Jesus shows him who he really is, who Jesus himself really is. And Thomas comes to grasp this. In the midst of his doubt, he really comes to grasp who Jesus is. So you need to understand a little bit of the context here. I found this fascinating in looking into this, preparing for this message. You need to understand the context of the book of John. John is writing in the very beginning of his book to say that we saw Jesus. He came here in in flesh, and he was God incarnate. And, And you get to the end of chapter 20, which is probably the, the natural end of this book that John was dictating. And Jesus, uh, John says this, these things that I've been writing about are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, 
and that by believing you may have life in his name. John's writing so that people will believe. And he's, and he's telling story after story of these amazing things that Jesus did and saying people believed. People believed. People believed. And then he would always throw in, but some people didn't. Some people did not. And he does this over and over again. Jesus does this amazing miracle. He does this miracle, this miracle, this miracle. Many people believed, but some did not. He's writing so that people will come to a place of belief. This word belief shows up in Matthew and Mark ten times. Shows up in Luke nine times. It shows up in John 99 times. 99 times John uses the word or the version of the word belief trying to express to people what it looks like to believe and what it looks like to not believe. Most likely John was was telling this this gospel account to a, a group of writers or to a writer who was writing these stories down as he told them. And he's using this theme of belief and he's telling these stories to people and they're writing them down. And, and what I find fascinating is that he's writing it to, to people towards the end of his life. Maybe he's the last remaining disciple and he's recounting his time with Jesus. And he's telling these stories to people who were living in, in an era where they were nuts for believing that there was one God. The culture around them was saying that that can't be. There can't just be one way to know the divine. They were surrounded by persecution for believing that maybe there was another king than just Caesar. Maybe there was another leader than just the Jewish high priest. And this culture is closing in around them, and John's telling them, you can believe this. We saw it with our own eyes. You can believe in this Jesus that I'm telling you about. And he tells story after story after story to reiterate that point. And I think it's very evident that when he's the only gospel writer to include Thomas, and three stories nonetheless about Thomas, he does it for a reason. Matthew, Mark, Luke, they mention Thomas as a disciple, but they don't tell you anything else about him. John tells three different stories about Thomas that I think are for a reason, landing on the Doubting Thomas story, which we're going to look at today. So I think this is a people that John's writing to who who are in, in doubt about who Jesus is, They're worried about believing this Jesus. It's the same as us, right? We all have doubt. We all go through our days thinking, do I really believe in this whole invisible God thing? Right? I mean, let's just be honest. Do I really believe that there's another king at work? There's another kingdom that I can be a part of? And what I would argue today is that the resurrection of Jesus is the proof that it's true. The resurrected Jesus is the proof that he was God, that he is the king, he is the Lord. And rather than ignoring our doubts, rather than just smiling and saying, yep, I'm a good Christian, I, you know, I don't have any doubts, I'm good, let's lean into them and, and allow Jesus to speak to them and allow the resurrected Jesus to show himself in new ways to us and to walk with us through our doubts. Pastor Adam preached a sermon back, I think it was in maybe November or December, about doubt that was fantastic, and and I encourage you to listen to it. And I felt like, I'm not going to re-preach that whole thing. It was great. Go and listen to it. So I'm going to also talk about Thomas today and his doubt in a different way. But if you want to know more about doubt and you're struggling with doubt, it's okay. You're not alone. Jesus knows, and he meets you in it. So hear that today. Go listen to that sermon if you want to. So where we're headed today is this. We're going to get these three stories about Thomas. Why John included them, I think, and sort of where Thomas lands. 
and why he's not just doubting Thomas, but he should be known for his declaration. So the first one I want to talk about is, is Thomas and the ruler of the earth. All right, in, in John chapter 11, you don't have to turn there if you, don't, if you don't want to. I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to kind of recount this story. But in John chapter 11, we see Thomas encounter the ruler of the earth, or, or the Lord, the king, as it were. In John chapter 11, uh, if you know this story, you know that Jesus in John chapter 10 has been in Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, he makes this sort of veiled comment that he and the Father are one. That he and God are one person. And they pick up stones to stone Jesus because this is blasphemy. He can't make this claim. And Jesus slips away, which John is a, it's a story that John tells over and over again that it wasn't yet his time and Jesus knew it. So he walks right out of this scene and he leaves Jerusalem. And they go out and they're on the hillside doing ministry. And in John chapter 11, we see that leaving Jerusalem and the threat of stoning and death, they're now doing ministry and Mary and Martha send word to Jesus that their brother Lazarus is dying. And they want Jesus, his friend, to come and minister to him, to come and maybe see him before he dies, to come and do something to help Lazarus. So Jesus says to his disciples, okay, let's go back to Bethany, which was right outside Jerusalem. And the disciples are like, nope. We were just there. They tried to kill us. We're not going back there. I'm sure they were a little bit like, are you nuts? Like, they wanted to kill you, Jesus. And he says, well, we're going to go. And there's this interesting story that only John tells about Lazarus, but he also only tells about Thomas. He says, Thomas says to the disciples, well, then let us go and die with him. Now, some commentators have interpreted this as sarcasm, that he's like, well, okay, well, let's just go die with him. Then I guess this is what we're doing. Some people have interpreted it as he was, he was noble, he was courageous, and he's saying, I'm down with the cause of Jesus. Let's go and die with him. Either way, in my mind, he's pessimistic. Either way, he does not see this working out well. Right? Either way, he's like, well, we're going to die. Let's go. He only sees the obstacles. He only sees the physical authority of the world around him. He sees the, the Jewish leadership that are closing in on Jesus, and he fears them, and he has doubts about who Jesus really is. I'd like to point out, too, that the disciples were also afraid. It wasn't just Thomas. They were also fearful about this. Poor Thomas always gets singled out, but they also didn't want to go. So what does Thomas do? He takes this woe-is-me martyr attitude. Well, I guess this is what we got to do. We're going to go and we're going to die. He doesn't believe that Jesus has the situation under control. He doesn't believe that Jesus has authority on earth. And Jesus already made this claim that no one takes his life from him. He lays it down when he wants. But Thomas doesn't believe that Jesus is actually king, that he's Lord of all on earth. So he has doubts in this way. Now, I'm sure Thomas goes and he probably hangs back, fearful. But what he ends up seeing is Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead and do this amazing work. But what, what if he had been a willing participant? Like, what if he had said, you know what, Jesus, I believe that you have authority, and I trust you, and I'll go with you. I am with you in this. Not the self-martyrdom proclamation, not the woe is me, not the pessimism, but actually engaged in ministry with Jesus. How much more satisfying may that have been for him? I think this is the full life that Jesus offers us. 
and says, come be a part of this kingdom work with me. Stop doubting and believe that I am the king, that I am Lord, that I have authority on earth over everything, over all people. This, this story hits home for me. Uh, I am naturally a realist. Uh, some would say a pessimist. I just like to define reality and find out what's going to go wrong, and I identify it. But you, you, you might call that pessimism. But this is often what I do. I've done this so many times in my life where I feel like a situation is going to go badly, but my, something in me says, well, we've got to do it. It's probably going to go bad. Woe is me. Take on this martyr attitude. And what am I doing? I'm keeping myself safe. Right? I'm keeping myself safe. That, that if it goes wrong, I can say, see, I told you so. I knew better. I knew we shouldn't have done that. I'm trying to control it for myself, not believing that it's going to be okay because God's called us to it. Typically when it comes to ministry things or family things. But like I said, what I've started to grasp in life is that Jesus calls us to things and he wants to go and and demonstrate his power in small and in large ways and he invites us into it. And we can sit back and say, yeah, I guess I'll go along with this, but I don't know, maybe it'll work out. Or we can go on faith and believe that this is Jesus, Lord of all, King of the earth, who's calling us into this task, into this great thing, and actually be a willing participant in it and find the full life that Jesus promises. But what we find here is that Thomas hangs back, and he has this pessimistic attitude about it. But I think Jesus is calling him to more, and I think he's calling us to more, despite our doubts. So John tells this story about Thomas. Thomas and, and the king, right? And then he goes on, I would say, he tells another story about Thomas and the ruler of heaven. He goes on from John 11 to the 12 and 13. And what happens in these chapters is, is Jesus ends up back in Jerusalem. Remember this? He has the triumphal entry into Jerusalem and the people are waving palm branches, which has probably got Thomas all sorts of confused now. He feels like, well, I I thought we were going to die, but now they're proclaiming as king. I guess maybe my plan isn't going to work out. I guess it's going to work out. I'm not sure. So they go in, and Jesus is proclaimed as king, and then Jesus brings them into the upper room, and they have the Passover supper, and what does Jesus say? I'm giving you a new covenant. I'm giving you this new thing. And then he he says, one of you is going to betray me, one of you is going to deny me, and I'm going to die. Can you imagine what the disciples are thinking? They felt like, okay, we're going to be... Going to be moving into a kingdom. Wait, no, we're not. You're going to die. And then we move into chapter 14. And, and if you want to turn there, you can. I'm going to read this part. In chapter 14, after all of this, of proclaiming you know, this new covenant, of saying that he's going to die, the disciples are distraught. And look at 14.1. This is what Jesus says to them to comfort them. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Listen to what Thomas says. Thomas said to him, Lord, We don't know where you're going. So how in the world can we know the way? 
We don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And he goes on to kind of poke at Philip a little bit and say, you have seen the Father because you've seen me. So here's Thomas having this encounter with with the ruler of heaven, making these bold claims about going to prepare a place for him and bringing him into it. See, what Thomas is missing here, and what what he's still looking for, is an earthly kingdom. Is that Jesus is going to bring this earthly kingdom down into Israel, and it's going to be this exclusive place where good Jews, and particularly in this case Thomas, will get to be a part of it. And he will get to be up close and personal with the king, and everything's going to be good for him. And he's going to work real hard to make this happen, and the king's going to come, and there's going to be this kingdom, it's going to be great. And Jesus starts talking about this other place that he's building, this other kingdom that he's making happen. And then he starts making claims to being one with the Father and saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And Thomas, again, it's like, I don't understand. This is not what I was expecting. I wanted something here for me on earth. This is what we've been waiting all these years for. What the heck are you talking about this other reality? This doesn't make any sense to me. And he starts to doubt. And what does he say? Lord, what the heck are you talking about? I don't know where you're going. I thought you were coming here. I don't know the way. How can I know the way? What are you talking about? But again, put yourself in his shoes. Don't we often do this? Don't we look to Jesus? Don't we look to God and say, when are you going to do this awesome work here that I get to be a part of? When are you going to build some magical kingdom here that I get to be a part of? And I think subconsciously we start to work really hard to try and make this happen. We start to line everything up in our lives to make this physical thing, this physical reality happen here. But I think what Jesus is offering is a deeper spiritual relationship and a spiritual reality and a connection with God the Father. And he's saying, it's not going to be the kingdom that you think it is. It's going to be a kingdom that I place into your hearts that you get to live into. Now granted, I think we start to work it out in the world around us. But it's not some exclusive kingdom that Jesus just drops down and we get to walk into. And I think the other thing that's at work here, and I think we do this often, is Jesus is saying, it's actually quite simple. Believe in me. Believe that you have seen God, this thing that Israel's been looking for for so long. Believe that you have been with God in me. And that's it. And yet these guys have been looking for so long for something that they would work for, that they would strive for, and they would pour into, and they would obey all the rules the right way, and then Jesus or the Messiah would come and bring this earthly place. Church, I would say that this is something that we do all the time. We say that we believe that Jesus is God. We say we believe in simply Jesus, but we still try to add things back in to our diet, right? Like, yeah, simply Jesus, but... If I really want this kingdom thing to work for me, I better give a certain amount to the church. If, if, yeah, Jesus is great and everything, and I'm, I, guess he's the, I guess he's the one with the Father, and he's God and everything, but yeah, you know what? I want something a little more tangible in life. I better go to church a whole lot. 
I better read a whole lot of Bible and memorize a whole lot of things. And we start to walk away from simply Jesus. And we don't really believe that he's God. We don't really believe that he's the way. We think we're the way. We need to bring this about, which is what Thomas is doing here. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This whole other reality you're talking about? No, 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 no. I I had a plan here. I'm working it. I'm going to make it happen here. I don't need this other plan that you've got going on. And Jesus is saying, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I am the life. If you want to have this connection to God, it's through me. And he reiterates it to Philip. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. This is what we're all longing for. Yet we doubt it. We doubt it can be that simple. We try to add things back in. Folks, I would say that between doubting Jesus as having authority and doubting Jesus as God goes all the way back to the garden. What Satan told us, told humanity in the beginning, you can't trust him, you can't know him in that way, you need to go make your own kingdom, you need to go do your own thing. It's all part of who we are as fallen humanity. And God is, is using Thomas in these passages, and I think this is why John uses him, is to say, this is what happens. This is what it looks like to not believe that Jesus is the earthly authority. This is what it looks like to not believe that Jesus really is God. And we start to add to it and want to make him something that he's not. We make the gospel something that it's not. So, we see Thomas fail to understand Jesus as Lord. And we see Thomas fail to understand Jesus as God. He's not alone in this, but John is using him in this example. So then look with me at John 20. Turn turn to John 20. This is sort of the, the third story that John tells about Thomas. Look at 20, verse 19. On the evening of that first day, so Jesus has been resurrected, right? There's these rumors of this. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, listen to this. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Can I just point out here that I really don't think that they were necessarily solid believers at this point either. I think Jesus shows up like, you know, pops into a locked room because they're afraid of the Jews, they're hiding away, they don't really know what to believe, and Jesus shows up and says, here I am. I am what I said I am. And then they're overjoyed, and then they believe. All right, so again, I feel bad for Thomas. Can you tell? Like, he, he gets a poor rap. So they're overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Now go down to verse 24. Now Thomas, called Didymus, which means twin, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But Thomas says to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Now listen to what Thomas says. John has been building to this moment this entire time. Stories of belief, stories of belief, stories of belief. Thomas not believing that Jesus is king and Lord, not believing that Jesus is God. What does Thomas say when he sees Jesus? My Lord 
and my God, it clicks for him. It all comes into focus, and he understands, oh, Jesus was the king when we went to the tomb of Lazarus. Jesus is God. He is the one with the Father, and I can't have a relationship with God. It all comes clear for him in this moment. This is why I say Thomas, John was writing this story so that we would see Thomas's declaration, not just his doubt. This is where the book has been building this entire time and lands on this moment and this declaration of my Lord and my God. It comes clear to him when he sees the resurrected Jesus. He's saying, you do have power over earthly kings. You are the Lord of all things. Not Caesar, not the Jewish high priest. You are the king of kings. And he says, you are heaven on earth. You are God. You are offering life eternal. I believe is what he's saying. For me, this is where I land. In the resurrection, we see that Jesus has the last word. We see that God has the last word. And Jesus is, submits to no king. He is the king. And in the resurrection, we see that Jesus and the Father are one and that we can have a relationship with God. Simply Jesus. No trite religious legalism, no performance, just the gospel, that Jesus is God and he says, come to me, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You want to come to the Father, it's through me alone and nothing else. Church, that's the good news. That's the good news for those of us in doubt, is that we can look to a risen Jesus and say, yeah, okay, I can, I can believe this, that Jesus is the king because I've seen a God raised him from the dead and vindicated him that he is the Father, that he is one with the Father. What I find interesting, though, is that most of us are, like, we also feel like we need to see to believe. We still kind of put ourselves into that camp. We're good, uh, you know, rational, logical thinkers. Like, we need to see to believe. We need to see to believe. If you want to have a whole conversation about that, I would love to do that over coffee. Like, if you want to argue, the, you know, from a historical standpoint and a factual standpoint, I would love to do that. We could be here for hours, and I'm not going to get into all that today. I believe the stories that we've been told through the disciples. I believe some of the historical accounts I've read. But what's fascinating is look at verse 29. So Thomas makes this incredible declaration, my Lord and my God. And Jesus says to him, because you've seen me, you have believed. It's actually a question. He says, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Which I think was both talking about some of the women that have seen Jesus at this point, and he's talking about us to come, I believe. We, we are people who, who believe yet don't see the risen Lord standing before us. So, how in the world is it more blessed to not see? You ever thought about that? Why in the world is Jesus saying this? That it's more blessed to actually not see. Because I feel like I always argue, man, if I could just see, I would believe more. If I could just see, I would be, I would be really solid in this. I wouldn't have any doubts. Think about the pe- think, just think about some of the people in Scripture that have seen God. Seen God, heard God, seen God do miraculous things. Noah hears from God, 
God spares his life. He goes off the deep end and does some crazy stuff and walks away from faithfulness to God. Moses literally sees basically God's backside of glory passing by him on a mountain. Moses doesn't make it into the promised land because he lacked faithfulness in that moment. Think about Israel. I mean, think about it. But like, if we were Israel, if we had seen God part the Red Sea, cloud of fire, big cloud during the day, protecting us, feeding us, all these things, what do they do? Golden calf. Like, seeing doesn't necessarily equate to believing in faithfulness. It just doesn't. I think what Jesus is getting after here is saying, the blessed part of not seeing for the church is that I give you my spirit who walks with you and is faithful, who does, is a deposit for you of what's to come, who does secure your, your belief to me, who does anchor you to me. Because even if we would see, we are fickle people. We could see God do the most amazing things and the next day be like, well, golden calf. It, I mean, history shows it again and again and again. And Jesus is saying, it is actually more blessed to receive the Spirit and to believe in me through his assurance, and through the faith that he gives you, because it is a work of God that he does that. There was this kind of a funny story to help kind of bring this home. A couple years ago, I was supposed to go to a concert with a friend, and we got tickets for a Tuesday night and a Wednesday night. The concert was same band, two nights in a row, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, and we decided, well, let's just sell the Tuesday night tickets. I'll sell my Tuesday nights. We'll go to your Wednesday night concert, right? So I sell my Tuesdays on Craigslist, golden, Tuesday night of the concert, of the first night, Tuesday night, 9.30 at night. My friend shows up at the door in the pouring rain. Ding dong. Doesn't tell me he's coming over. And I'm like, why in the world is my doorbell ringing? And I open the door and I see him go like this at the door. And he slowly holds up the tickets in front of the door, and I realize we both had Tuesday night tickets. We were supposed to have gone to the concert that night. We missed it. I've never missed a concert in my life. I'm like so hyper about tickets. So we missed this concert. And I I don't even think I said anything. I think I just took the tickets from him and walked back inside and closed the door like, I can't believe we did this. So the next day we decide, you know what, we're going to drive, it was at the Man Music Center. We're going to drive over to the Man. We're going to see if we can find tickets. So we're milling around, and, and whether you believe this or not, I think the Lord provided, which was awesome. I meet this friend from, from high school who says, I actually have an extra ticket. Do you want it? I'm like, great. So now we have one. We need another. So we're milling around. I finally find this guy who says, I have a ticket if you want it. And I said, that's fine. We had seen plenty of scalpers and fakes at this point. And I said, I will buy this from you if you walk in with me, because I knew he was going to the show. He said, I will buy this from you. I have doubts about this, though. But I will buy it if you walk in with me. He says, sure. So I give him the money. Literally, I'm like arm in arm with this guy into the concert. Like, I'm not letting him out of my sight because if, if this is not real, I'm, I like want to hurt this guy. So we get in, right? So long story to make this point. I think Jesus is okay with our doubt. I think he just simply comes to us and says, look, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the king. I am God. I will walk with you. Just link up and walk with me one step at a time, and I will walk you further and further into the kingdom, deeper and deeper into understanding the love of the Father. 
I'm reminded of Mark chapter 9, where Jesus, there's this man who, who wants his son healed. And Jesus says, I will heal him, do you believe? And the man says, I believe, help me in my unbelief. What does Jesus do, walk away? Say, no, you don't believe 100%, I'm out. No, he heals the kid. This is our Jesus. This is our God who says, believe, I'll keep helping you with your unbelief. I'll keep walking with you. We see him walk with Thomas. We see him walk with Thomas through not believing he's king, not believing he's Lord, until Thomas makes this declaration, and he's in, he gets it. You think Thomas did never have unbelief again? Come on. We all do. But we walk with Jesus, one step at a time, one day at a time. So here's how I want to kind of bring this to a close. I think Jesus meets us in our doubts, and he says, here I am. Adam talked about this in the doubt sermon. He says, here I am. Nothing will undo the power of the resurrection and the proof of the resurrection that Jesus is Lord, he is king, he is alive. He's out of the tomb. But what we can do is choose to walk with him. A little bit of faith, a little bit at a time, step at a time of walking with him. So I'm going to talk about just a couple ways that, at least for me, have helped me walk with Jesus and grow through my doubts. I still have them, but walk with Jesus to grow in my faith. The first is this, through self, I would call it self-gospeling. Okay, gospeling myself, reminding myself of the gospel over and over again. This is why we read scripture, okay? Not so we can be some like super knowledgeable, great Christians. It's we read scripture so we can grasp the gospel. We sing it. We pray it. Pray through the Psalms. Read through, the, read through scripture. I think, I heard somebody say this one time. Sometimes we sing because we're confident, and sometimes we sing until we're confident. Does that make sense? I feel like sometimes we read scripture and we're like, I'm not getting anything out of this. This is not instilling confidence in me. We read it until it does. Singing, praying, self-gospeling. I think we, Jesus walks with us through gospel community. This is why we gather here week after week to remind each other that you're not the only crazy one. Right? We're all here in this together. This is why we do community groups because we want people to know that, yes, we are in this gospel life together. This is how Jesus walks among us, is through one another. Sometimes you need people to have faith for you. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes you need people to believe on your behalf and help you and bring you along in that. That's why we do gospel communities. We do it through prayer. Paul says sometimes the Spirit prays for you. You don't even know what to pray because you're so distraught. You're in such doubt. You just turn to Jesus and say, I don't even know what to say. You take it from here. And allow the Spirit to minister you from the inside out. This is what it means to be blessed with, you know, not seeing but still believing. And finally, I think we walk with Jesus and we grow, you know, stronger through our doubts and into faith is through serving. To me, I've seen Jesus do amazing things through serving when I was like, you know, and I don't even know if I believe this, but Jesus, I'm going to trust you that you're calling us to this. And seeing Jesus provide and do these amazing things and you realize, yeah, he's real. He is king. He is God. So Jesus walks with us when we serve him. So will you stop unbelieving and decide to believe a little bit more? Looking at the resurrected Jesus, believing him a little bit more as king over your life and over this earth, 
believing that he is God and offers us a relationship with the Father that we don't need to add anything to. That it's not, please hear me right, it's not just a one-time decision. That I, I believed once and everything's good now. I'm not saying anything about eternal security, okay? Get that out of here. I'm saying about doubt and faith. We don't just believe one time and we're 100% sure. We're always going to doubt. So we continually walk with Jesus, continually growing in our belief and moving on from our unbelieving. Will you consider this week with an ornery boss that you can't stand, with with a relationship in your life that is brutally unbearable? Will you believe that Jesus is king, like Thomas found out? That Jesus has more authority than those people, more authority than that boss, more authority than any political party, president, person, company, anything. He has authority over all of it. He is king of the earth. He is Lord. Will you believe this week when somebody tempts you or the devil tempts you to think, I need to add something to the gospel? I need, I need to be perfect. I need to read more. I, I need to be more disciplined. I, whatever. Whatever it is that you're adding to the gospel. Will you believe that Jesus is God and he's simply the way? Will you say, Jesus, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. I believe. Help me in my unbelief. This might be a little awkward. I don't know if you want to do it or not, but if, if I felt called to do this... Um, if you feel like you need to take a position of submission right now towards the Lord and believing that he's king, I don't know if that means sitting down, if that means kneeling, if that means putting hands up, if that means putting hands out, I don't know what that looks like, but I would encourage you to process that. Am I really submitting to Jesus as king? Or do I think somebody else is stronger? So feel free to, to do what you want. And in regards to Jesus as God... Is there a way in which you've been adding to the gospel? Works, legalism, self-righteousness. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we gather here today willingly submitting as a gospel community to your kingship over all things. And we gather here today knowing that you are God and we submit to you as such. Spirit, convict us in areas where maybe we're adding something to the gospel. Convict us even in areas of our own lives where we're not submitting to you as king. We have doubts about that. Help us in our unbelief. Jesus, we gather here today to celebrate your resurrection, reminding one another that the tomb is empty, proving you king of all, proving you God. Help us go from this place, growing in our faith, decreasing in our doubts, admitting that you are king and God of our lives and of our world. Church, I pray that over you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.